Hey everyone, welcome to a Millennial Learns a Podcast. This is your host, Abby Rancor. Thank you so much for joining me. Very sorry that this is going up Thursday afternoon. I had to get it up today because I am already one Bible episode behind, which I will be making up at some point, I promise. Um, but for now, we are going over um, 1 Samuel 16 through 1 Kings 9. That is the section of the Bible we are going over today. It was a good section. It kind of felt short a little bit. It just uh, took me a while to get there, get it read, and uh, have all the notes done, ready to present. So, um, yes, we are going over that. Little life update. I am babysitting the, my aunt and uncle's chickens, two sets of chickens, and a dog. So, I'm allergic to dogs, but he actually has not been causing many allergic reactions, which has been very good. Um, and then I'm taking care of chickens, which has been actually so fun. Like I go out every morning at seven, I walk around, it's all peaceful and not too hot out. And I throw them spinach and throw them scratch and they run out and it's all very fun and exciting. And it makes me very, very excited to move in to our new house because we are hoping to get chickens on our new house. We'll have three acres of land. Uh, my aunt and uncle also have three acres of land out here. And so it's just been great. I feel very country. I feel like a country girl out here. And it just makes me very excited to have my own place with my own acreage, my own chickens. And it's so much fun. And so we're staying the night over here. It's like a sleepaway camp kind of. Um, so that is very fun. Um, okay, well, that is about all the life update I need to do at the moment. We tried to buy a car this weekend. It fell through like an hour ago. And so we are not getting that car. So there's a lot of car stuff happening. There's a lot of moving happening, although we're pretty much settled. But there's a sleepaway camp with chickens happening. So it's a lot going on. So uh, I'm just excited that I could get this episode up on the scheduled Bible day on Thursday, even if it's late at night. <laughs> so anyway, let's get started. We're starting with 2 Samuel 16. Oh, other thing, if my audio sounds a little off this week, it's because in the chaos of staying at someone else's house right after a move, I didn't bring my personal computer, which I use my one mic with. My phone external mic is at the other house. So I'm determined to get this up today, even if the audio sounds not that great. And so if the audio sounds a little bit off, that's why I'm going through my somewhat damaged iPhone external, uh, internal mic. And so please, uh, be gracious with the audio. Okay. Second Samuel 16. So in second Samuel 15, we'll just recap a little bit. Uh, David just came from Absalom's rebellion and he fled Jerusalem, but sent spies, uh, into Jerusalem. Okay. So in second Samuel 16, Ziba supports David and he ends up accusing Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth of treason. Um, a man named Shim, Shimea, <laughs> I don't know. This is a problem every week. As you know, if you've listened to multiple Bible podcasts, I cannot pronounce biblical names sometimes. So a man named, I'm just going to call him Shimmy, um, throws rocks at David. He hates David and David remains cool. This is like the, 
many time we've seen seen David remain calm when someone hates him, like all of Saul's family, David. Um, when everyone, anyone from the house of Saul wanted to like kill David or kill one of his men, uh, David was very, very gracious to Saul's family and his enemies in general. So we see that again with this man throwing rocks. He hates David, but David tells his men to like that. He understands they stay calm, cool, and collected. Um, but because of this rebellion, Absalom sleeps with concubines, with David's concubines back in Jerusalem. So that's where we're opening this Bible study, uh, section, which is quite the doozy. Uh, in second Samuel 17, a man named Hushai saves David by delaying, uh, Ahitophel's attack. Basically there were two advisors to, um, to Absalom, um, one of them was like in cahoots, I think, with David, and one of them was an actual person who wanted Ahithophel, Ahithophel to win. Um, so Hashai gives him basically like bad advice uh, and delays the attack by debating um, all of this. His advice is to send like 12,000 men into battle, where the other guy's advice is to send all the men into battle. I might have those mixed up, but either way, there are very different advice. They have to spend time to like argue them and all of that. And so it delays the attack and saves David. Um, then there were men searching for spies. The spies had gone down into a woman's well in her house and she hid them, which was very gracious of her. And she kind of misdirected, um, the men looking for them. So they were not found. Then Antithophel, oh, this answered my question earlier. Um, Antithophel was the one that said, I think, to send in the 12,000 men instead of all of the men to attack. And anyway, Ahithophel, um, his advice was not taken because he was one of the people who were counseling Absalom. And so Ahithophel went back and because his advice wasn't taken, he was distraught and he hung himself. Um, okay, Second Samuel 18, David's army attacks Absalom's men, and they win. Absalom's hair is caught in a tree. This is a very interesting story because I wasn't sure where it was going at first. Like, it said that Absalom, someone saw Absalom hanging by a tree. And I was like, oh, someone must have already gotten to him and killed him, something like that. But basically what happened is Absalom's hair gets caught in a tree when he's riding through this forest. There was a man who found him. And, you know, reported back to Joab um, what he had seen. And Joab said, why didn't you kill him? This is our enemy. This is Absalom's, like, Absalom's the one rebelling. This is who we're fighting against. Go kill him. And the man said, I will never lay a hand on the anointed king's son, basically. So he was kind of following David's lead and being very merciful to the enemies but Joab had no part of that, and he went and killed Absalom when he was hanging by that tree. Um, messengers go and tell David about this battle and that his son is dead, um, which they think is very good news because the enemy is dead. But David starts mourning and weeping and you know, because his son is dead. So 2 Samuel 19, Joab basically tells off David and he says, well, you've humiliated all the men and you've shown who's important to you. Like you would have rather had Absalom's men alive and your own 
army and your own men dead, you don't care for us. So um, David ends up kind of, you know, thanking, I guess, the uh, his army, I think. But he then goes and crosses the Jordan and goes back to Jerusalem um, as, you know, the king. He pardons the man who threw rocks at him, Shimi. He pardons him and blesses people who bless him. And then there is fighting between the tribe or the men of Judah and the men of Israel, it said, on who has the greater claim to David. So they're like, I, you know, did we, were we not the first to talk about him being king again? And, um, you know, the other people said that they were, I think, uh, lineage-wise closer to David. So there was some infighting about who had a bigger claim to David. Um, and then 2 Samuel 20, Sheba, there's a uh, man named Sheba who's a Benjamite. Uh, and he basically stirred everyone up to leave David. So this seems like kind of a common thing with this rebellion against David. And a lot of the um, Israelites follow Sheba. Joab then went and got everyone back on David's side. He had to do this whole kind of campaign to get everyone back to David. And then um, they besieged a city to try to capture Sheba. So once Joab got everyone back on David's side, they were like, well, Sheba's the enemy here. They were trying to get us all away from David. So he basically turned everyone against Sheba and they wanted to kill him. So they knew where he was in this city. They besieged it. And then it said a very wise woman called out and said, like, why are you destroying this city? Because they had these devices, I guess, that would help break down the walls. And she goes, why are you trying to break down God's city? They said, we're not trying to destroy. We're just trying to get Sheba. And so she made a deal with them that if she threw his head over the wall, they would leave the city alone. And so this woman went and like got everyone in the city on her side, basically, and said, like, our city will be saved if we go and kill Sheba. They handed him over. They threw his severed head over the wall. And um, that was that for, <laughs> for, that, for uh, Joab and that city. So he caused Sheba to die because he was kind of trying to start a rebellion against David. Okay, uh, in 2 Samuel 21, there was a famine because Saul had put the Gibeonites to death. So God basically is now punishing Israel for Saul's behavior towards the Gibeonites. Um, and the Gibeonites, it clarified, which I thought was interesting, because I always forget who is in the tribe of, like, who's in what tribe or who's part of Israel and who's not. But the Gibeonites were survivors of the Am Amorites, wasn't it? Ammonites, maybe. So they were survivors of a different, um, like, whole community, not part of the Israelites. Uh, but God did not want, you know, Israel to kill them. Um, and he had, so there was a famine. David wanted to atone for this. And so he asked um, those Gibeonites, like, how would we atone for that? How can we repay you, essentially? And they said, take seven people from Saul's house and we'll kill them. And like, I think they exposed their bodies on this hill. And, um, so they were put to death. Seven of them were put to death from Saul's house. Saul, one of Saul's concubine, um, spread out a blanket for herself after the seven all died at once. And she basically protected the bodies. They said it was the first day of harvest that the, the people died. 
and it was raining a lot. So it rained for days. I think it was seven days. Um, and she stood by them and did not let, um, any birds come and destroy them or anything like that. So because of this, they ended up burying Saul and Jonathan there as well. They had been buried somewhere else and they moved their bones to, um, the place where the rest of the seven of these family members were. Um, so God then started answering because that atoned for the sin of Saul. Um, and God then started answering prayers, which made me think about like, does that apply? I'm always trying to think when I read the old Testament, about what applies today and what doesn't, because I think that Christians today may be getting some things wrong, at least a lot of them about what applies and what doesn't. I think a lot of the old Testament does apply still. Um, but this one, I, well, I guess my, the crux of my question was, does God start answering only when you're in right standing? Because there was a sin against Saul and his family, which is, you know, inherently like basically David's family and all of Israel. Um, so God was not answering in that land when there was a sin that still had to be atoned for. Well, uh, but then they atoned for the sin and he started answering. I was thinking, does that apply? Like if I, if you haven't confessed something or, you know, something like that, does he just not answer? Is that a reason why he doesn't answer today? Well, um, I've, I think no, <laughs> I think that doesn't really apply because we, they had to make an atonement for that sin, but Jesus, since he died is our like eternal atonement. We are already in right standing with God if we believe and trust in Jesus. So, um, I don't think he's just not answering because we haven't atoned for a sin basically. So that was the thought process. I came out to the same conclusion that I think I went in with, but it was an interesting it's interesting when you read these stories and there's like very clear guidelines for how they did things. And like God answered exactly once they atoned for this sin. Um, it's interesting to see how it applies today. So, um, and then, okay. Also in this chapter, they started battling the Philistines again. David gets exhausted and someone else had to kind of step in and help him in the battle. So they said, they basically forced him into retirement from the military. They said, you won't fight again. And that way we can have long standing with Israel because David is very tired and he's getting old, but they win, um, against the Philistines. And so all of second Samuel 22 is all just songs of praise, which I really liked this one, um, chapter in there. If I can pull that up really quick, because let's see, it was chapter 31. So second Samuel 22, verse 31 really kind of stuck out to me as, uh, or was it 30, 22? Hmm. I didn't think that, well, I guess all of it's good. I, I didn't think that this was the one I actually, maybe I wrote down the wrong number, but this one's good too. So I'll just read this. 31 is as for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. Oh yeah. That must've been the one that I liked. I like that. He shields all that take refuge in him. Um, and then it says in 32, which is also good for who is God besides the Lord and who is the rock except our God. So it's just this whole song of praise, which is really beautiful to, to read. So I would highly recommend just actually going and reading all of the verses in there because it's very, very good. Um, second Samuel 23 were David's last words. 
Um, and he's basically like just talking about, um, how, you know, he's in right standing with God. He said, if my house were not right with God, surely he would have, he would not have made with me an everlasting covenant arranged and secured in every part. Surely he would not bring to fruition my salvation and grant me my every desire. So he's like saying how faithful God's been, how he has a, you know, good standing with God and how God's blessed him and all of that. So it's kind of a continuation of the, of the praise, but this is just like his final words to the people. And then it details all of his warriors, um, which there's a lot of them. I think there was like 37 and it goes through all of their like army feats. So that was kind of interesting. And then this one is okay. This next chapter, second Samuel 24 is where I got confused and where I had to look up some commentary and this is where I second guess translations, to be honest, because let me read you the first chapter of Second Samuel 24. It says, again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel and he incited David against them, saying, go and take a census of Israel and Judah. Okay, so by reading that sentence, it sounds like God was angry at Israel and so God incited David to um, go take a census. But... If you look, he in there, which would, if it's a capital letter, would imply God. The word he is lowercase. Okay, so um, that's one thing. Like, it doesn't seem like God, I mean, it, by the sentence, it seems like God is the one inciting David to go do something bad, and then God punishes for him. Spoiler alert, God basically sends a plague that kills 70,000 people to atone for the sin of, of David, you know, being prideful and, and taking a census. Okay. But I was like, that doesn't make any sense because why would God incite David to do something that would hurt his own people when he could just not do it, not do that basically. Um, so I was looking at Bible commentary for this and it actually says that in, uh, first Chronicles 21, one, they talk about this incident in first Chronicles and they say, or that verse says that Satan incited the census and told David to go against God. And that's why it was prideful to do the census when God didn't command. So it sounds like from there that God just merely allowed Satan to, to let, or that God allowed Satan to incite it. Um, in David and David took the temptation basically, but from that sentence, the original sentence, it does not sound that way other than the clue that he is not capitalized. Apparently also in another translation, this, uh, this specific verse says, again, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel and it incited David against them. So not even referencing he, and it's because apparently in the original writings that word there's no word for incited and so there's no like pronoun or there's no noun i guess to go with a word that doesn't exist it was very confusing but essentially the other account of this later says that satan incited this so um with that being said we're just going to go with that probably until we get to first chronicles 21 when we get to that chapter in another Bible episode, we'll probably revisit, um, revisit that. But so 
after he was incited, um, David recognizes immediately that it wasn't of God and that he sinned. And so uh, God has to, you know, he has to pay for the sins. So he gave him three options, which is like, this is the first time that I've seen, I think, that God gives options as to punishment. So one was a plague. One was that um, they'll be chased by their enemies. And one was a uh, a plague. Did I say that? One was a famine. One was uh, getting chased by the enemies. And one was a plague. I think I might have said plague twice in the first time. So anyway, there was a three-day plague. 70,000 people died. And David ended up sacrificing a lot of burnt offerings so that the plague would stop. Okay, in 1 Kings 1, Kings is, 1 Kings is kind of nice. I liked it. It's very kind of straightforward, like what the story points were. And this is why I think the whole reading felt pretty simple this week. Um, so David was old and he could not keep himself warm at night, even when there were blankets. And so his like servants and stuff wanted to find a virgin to keep him warm. But um, basically... This virgin that they found was a young woman who took care of David, but they made it clear that there was no sexual intercourse between them. Um, but the the virgin's brother, Adonijah, Adonijah, <laughs> I don't know. Um, this other guy wants to be king, and Bathsheba and Nathan tell David about it, uh, about him basically declaring that he's king he all of these you know insurrections i guess and rebellions um they just kind of declare themselves king but they're like not king so david as opposed to uh, in opposition to that makes solomon king because bathsheba said i thought you said that solomon was going to be king after you david says i did say that i'm going to anoint solomon as king David then in 1 Kings 2 gave Solomon like a final call, which I thought was really an interesting chapter because as we've seen, David is very merciful to people in Saul's household that have done him wrong. So Shimei is one. Joab doesn't seem to have any consequence for killing um, David's son. And so that was interesting like at the end of second samuel i was like huh david never really dealt with joab just like running a sword through his son even though they were in battle um david mourned for a very long time so this is where all of that changes david said basically like i'm not gonna kill him i'm i'm not doing it but don't let joab die peacefully and he calls to kill shimi so he's telling solomon to do this while he's king um so Adonijah asks for a wife. Solomon says he will be put to death because of this request. He's like, I hope, I hope you know this request has cost you your life. This is so much. Um, and because remember, this is the guy that wants to be king. And it's um, David's basically like concubines. I guess that has a sexual implication, but like David's caretaker's brother so he's like why would you ask me for a wife when you're trying to take my crown um but so solomon says he'll be put to death and then solomon orders the death of both joab and shimia or shimi so david was merciful but he's like do not let them die peacefully you know when he was about to die so 
I don't know what to think of that really. Like, cause I thought it was supposed to be such a great example, you know, following through with David saying, you know, being merciful to your enemies, all of that. But then right as he's dying, he's like, take no mercy. I'm not going to kill him, but Solomon should. So I'm still a little bit confused about that, I guess, and why that's now okay, just because he's not king anymore. Um, okay, First Kings 3, Solomon marries the Pharaoh's daughter, and then God told Solomon to ask for what he... Okay, this was... This was a very, uh, I put many stars next to this whole section in 1 Kings 3. I would highly recommend going to uh, read that. But basically, God comes to Solomon and says, like, ask for what you want from me. What do you want me to give you? And Solomon says that he wants discernment. So two things there. First of all, God wants you to ask for what you want. And he's willing to give you things. Um, And that, I think, definitely applies today. We can ask God for what we want. Two... Solomon asks for discernment. He doesn't ask for, like, money or wealth or women or a castle. He asks for discernment, so he'll be the wisest king. And God is so, is very pleased that he uh, asks for this instead of material things, that he says, not only will I give you what you've asked for, which is discernment, but I will give you all of these other things, which were kind of more worldly things. And it reminded me of that verse that said, um, seek ye first his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. That is exactly an example of that verse here, which I think that verse comes, I don't know where in the Bible that is, but this is like the exact example because he asked for something that was not material. He asked for wisdom in dealing with material things. And then, um, God not only blessed him with the thing that he asked for, but extra. So I think if we have our priorities right, if we have like our head screwed on straight and we ask for things like that, the other things are going to come just like, just like this example showed. And just like the other verse said, once you seek his righteousness, his kingdom, all the other things will be added. Um, and then Solomon basically puts his new discernment to the test. There were two prostitutes that came and one of them, you know, they were in the same house. They were living at the same house and they had babies three days apart. So it was very hard to tell the difference between the babies. One of the women rolled over and accidentally slept on the the baby and it died. And so there was only one live baby. Basically, um, the other prostitute said that the other one had switched the babies in the night to keep the live one for herself, even though her actual child was dead. So they come to the, to David with this dilemma. They're arguing in front of him. And then David said, basically like, okay, fine. You can both keep half, split this, split the remaining child in half, like cut him in half. And he could tell by the reactions of the mothers who was the, the mother of the live baby, because one of them said, yeah, split them in half. Like, because she was jealous of the other of the baby that was alive and the mother that had the baby that was alive. But the actual mother said, no, 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 please, like, please don't cut the baby in half, basically. And so in that way, he could tell which one was the mother of the live baby. And everyone was very amazed by his wisdom and his discernment. Um, so first Kings four, which we are on now goes over all of Solomon's officials and rulers, his provisions that he has, and 
Now they said that he was so wise that people from all over came to listen to his wisdom. Um, In 1 Kings 5, he wants to build a house for the Lord. Solomon does. And the workers start prepping the materials um, to build this house for the Lord. In 1 Kings 6, the temple building begins. It's very, very specific. It reminds me of the verses with them building the ark or, and the actual the first tabernacle um, where it's like, this is this cubit, many cubits high made out of this type of wood. It's very specific in there. The Ark of the Covenant is in the inner temple. So there's kind of like this structure that we are pretty familiar with by now. Um, God tells him, if you walk in my ways, I will dwell with Israel And he overlays the entire house of God in gold. And that took seven years to complete. And then in 1 Kings 7, Solomon builds his own house. It takes like 13 years, I think it said. Um, Hiram made the pillars and the sea and utensils for the... Wait. (laughs) Hiram made pillars, the sea and utensils for the temple of bronze. um, And Solomon in his own house... Uh, made the furniture gold. The priest brought the ark into the temple in Kings, 1 Kings 8. Solomon said, O oh Lord, if anyone prays toward this place, then hear from heaven and act. And then the last chapter we're going over today, which is 1 Kings 9, the Lord said to Solomon, if you walk in my ways, I will establish your throne. So another promise from God to Solomon. And Solomon did not make slaves of the son of Israel, it said. So the last few were just a very, very short summary. But essentially, he like sets up his house. It gives specifics about his house. And then God reiterates his promise that if they follow the ways, uh, his ways, then it will be, um, they will establish a throne and dwell with Israel. So I used some like summaries for this too. Um, just for some of the King stuff. So I will link that below, especially if you want to go further in Kings and get a summary, um, I will link it. And that is all for today. Next week, we will be going over the next, um, Bible section, which let me look here is going to be, um, first Kings 10 to second Kings eight. So if you're following along, read that. It'll probably be out this weekend. Hopefully, I keep saying that, but hopefully it's out this weekend. Um, All right, that is all for today's episode. Thank you all for listening. Make sure to like and subscribe and DM me on Instagram. And I will see you next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye.